1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric, did you buy your Powerball tickets for tonight? You know what? I haven't yet, but I plan on getting I, one. I, my, my wife, of all people. You know, she we were at a gas station the other day, and mm-hmm. she went in to buy something and came out with two Powerball tickets. So, <laughs> yes. all right. Very if, nice. If I'm not back tomorrow, well, <laughs> you know, we hit it. But I think I will be back tomorrow. This is Jeff Wagner. Let's get the show started. Before we get to three big things. I, I mentioned this when I was we were doing the, the transfer with uh, Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt. The, uh, Keith Olbermann, the kind of the, the crazy guy who used to be on MSNBC and ESPN and all, used to have this feature called The Worst Person in the World. And I, I thought it was kind of overdone because you know, they try to do it like on a, on a regular basis. But every once in a while, you do get truly, truly awful people. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, the analogy I always use is that I I have this image that there is a heaven in the other place. And that, I mean, I don't know, I I just, I picture myself, I picture people standing in front of the pearly gates and St. Peter is there and he's got the book and he's got all the good things you've done in your life. And then he's got the bad things that you've done and everybody's done bad things. But there's bad things and then there are bad things. And the truth of the matter is there are some things that I don't want to have to stand in front of St. Peter and explain. Now, in the city of Milwaukee, and I understand that some people don't like to hear this. The mayor doesn't like to hear this. The aldermen don't like to hear this. But the truth is, crime is out of control. And as I was talking about yesterday, you get the type of community that you deserve. If we as a public are willing to put up with a city, a county, where you can't leave your car running for 30 seconds when it's 10 degrees below zero because it will be stolen. We, we, if we're willing to accept that as a community, well, we, we get that. All right, that Then that is what the community is going to be. It's going to be the type of community we live in, essentially a Lord of the Flies, lawless type of community where the thieves, the brigands, the bad guys get to take control of things. And, I mean, I understand that there's only so much the police department can do, and it's I guess it is now wise that they instruct people, don't go out, don't start your cars, don't leave your cars running, don't leave them unattended, because they will be gone in 15 or 20 seconds in some cases. It's that bad. My point, though, has been, how did it get this way, and why do we live like this? Why do we put up with it? Why do we tolerate a court system that doesn't punish the people that do- does this? Uh, yesterday was the day to turn in signatures for office. Eight Milwaukee County judges up for re-election, every single one of them running unopposed. Every single one of them running unopposed. And that's not, of course, a, a new phenomenon. It happens all the time. We don't hold our elected officials accountable. We don't hold the judges accountable. We don't hold criminals accountable. And you get stories. You get the story like New Year's Day in front of the, the hotel down by Pabst where you've got the, the married, they get married on New Year's Eve at Lakefront Brewery. They spend their wedding night. They're loading up their car in front of the hotel, in front of the valet stand. They've got the co- the car is running. They're putting stuff in as they're bringing it in from the lobby. It's gone in 30 seconds. This is what Milwaukee is nowadays, you know, where you've got roving bands of thieves all over the area that will steal anything that is not nailed down. So who's the worst person in the world today? All right. Channel 6 had this story. The headline caught my attention. Took the wheelchairs 
van stolen with Christmas, on Christmas with kids' medical equipment inside found torched. Here's the story. And again, Channel 6 had it. A wheelchair accessible van was taken by thieves with two wheelchairs and an oxygen tank inside. The van belongs to a family that includes two children living with disabilities and was found torched days after it was stolen. It was fast, Jose Figueroa said. On Christmas morning, Christmas morning, let's let that sink in for a minute, Gru, who's producing the show. Christmas morning. I went to church on Christmas morning. People wake up, they open up their packages on Christmas morning morning people sit with their families unless you are some of the low-life scum that roam the streets of milwaukee on christmas morning figueroa started the family van as they prepared to head out to visit family when he turned his back a criminal drove off in it there was nothing we could do it was quick As we are going back on the porch to load stuff, boom, it's gone. Okay, so he's got the car running. It's presumably in the driveway or in front of his house. There's stuff, there's packages on the front porch. He's not even leaving the thing unattended, and it's stolen on Christmas morning. Losing the Toyota Sienna was one thing, but it's much more than a mode of transportation for his family. It's not so much the van. They took the wheelchairs. Figueroa said the van was donated to help the family transport the children ages seven and four who are living with disabilities. I'm more disappointed in the neighborhood, Figueroa said. This is 35th in Lisbon, so it's kind of by Metcalf Park there, where St. Joseph's Hospital, that sort of area. Um, let's see. Uh, December 29th. So the van is stolen Christmas morning. December 29th, the van was found torched and gutted in an alley near 53rd and Lisbon. The medical equipment was not inside. I still got to get them to their doctor's appointments. I still got to get them into their therapy appointments, Figueroa said. He said it's been a struggle since the theft, but the family is trying to remain optimistic. We don't ask for nothing easy. We just ask for the strength to keep on going with the hard stuff. He says he wants the story to serve as a warning to others, confident they'll find a way to get around. We're surrounded with good people, good friends. We are going to make it through. No one has been arrested in the case, Figueroa said. It appeared that at least two suspects were involved. Police are investigating. So let's review the bidding. Christmas morning, a guy who's got two children who have wheelchairs and oxygen tanks. They're getting ready to go visit family. He's loading the the car that has the wheelchairs and the oxygen tanks in them. He's loading them with presents. He turns his back for a minute, and two low-life thugs, gangsters, scum of the earth, whatever, steal the van. And then... Apparently what they do is they recognize that the wheelchairs and the oxygen tanks probably have some value to sell to somebody else on the mean streets of Milwaukee. So they take that out. They presumably sell it to someone and leave the van torched. All right. I I understand that in the city of Milwaukee, this is apparently the type of conduct and behavior that you are willing to accept. 
Now, if I lived in the city of Milwaukee, I, I wouldn't. This is the type of thing that people should be going down to their aldermen and demanding enough is enough. Aldermen should be calling out judges who impose ridiculously low sentences. There should be pressure on the district attorney's office to waive car thieves of their juveniles into adult court. And if they don't do that, there should be pressure on state legislatures to change the juvenile laws to make it public when they catch, if they catch the people that did this, they should be identified. And if they're 16 years old, I don't care. Their name should be in public. The public should know the type of people people who would do something like this. But the bottom line is, this is what is going on on a daily basis. And again, because apparently in the city of Milwaukee, people are willing to accept it. The mayor is willing to accept it. The aldermen are willing to accept it. Because this is acceptable behavior, all you can hope for is that at some point in time, maybe somewhere in life, maybe there is this notion of karma. And if there's not a notion of karma in this life, maybe in the afterlife, All I know is I don't want to be standing in front of St. Peter and be the guy or guys that on Christmas morning stole the wheel, the van full of Christmas presents with a seven-year-old and a four-year-old's oxygen tanks and wheelchairs. And again, you know what type of people and human beings these are because they didn't return them. They didn't leave the van. They stole the wheelchairs. They stole the oxygen tanks, and they torched the van. Yes, yes, Virginia, this is my nominee for worst human beings in the world, at least for today. When we come back, three big things. Stick around. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, a couple texts. People say, well, guys shouldn't have left the van running. Okay, I I get it. I, I understand it's Christmas morning. It's cold. You're getting ready to put your four and your seven year old children in there. You are loading up the van. You've got packages on the porch. So you're out there in the proximity of the car. And I guess you're right. Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, Ashanti Hamilton's Milwaukee, Ed Flynn's Milwaukee is so dangerous. John Chisholm's Milwaukee is so dangerous that you cannot, even on Christmas morning, leave a van running for a couple seconds while you put packages from your porch into the van. I get it. That, that is just the, the reality of that. But at the same time, why do people put up with this? I mean, seriously, why do you live in a community where this type of thing happens? And why do we make excuses for the people that go out and, and then steal these things? Um, I mean, just that, that's it. We get the type of community we are willing to accept. And I don't know about you, but I am, I am waiting for the community uprising to say we're sick of this. Enough is enough. I don't know if it's going to happen, though. Okay. Big story number one. We're going to open up the phone lines in just a moment, and I want to talk to supporters of President Trump. Um, on this program, and I, I can just, I can tell from the emails I get and the texts I get and, and the input, um, we have a very, very divided audience. And, and I know that because if I criticize President Trump, I get all these hostile emails saying, oh, why don't you go work for MSNBC? And when I support President Trump on issues where I think he's right, I, I get the, the flip side of things. Oh, I can't believe you're apologizing for this guy. He's just terrible. It's awful. Um, but but I, I try to call things as, a, as I see them. And as I have said for the last year, I think part of the president's problem is is one of style as opposed to substance. On the substance of issues, 
I, I think that he's he's done a lot of really good stuff. I, I think rolling back federal regulations, um, I think, have been a good thing. I think cutting back on the power of the presidency, saying, hey, I'm not going to use executive orders to usurp what should be the power of the legislature, Congress in this case, I think those are good things. I think many, not all, but many of his court appointments have been very, very strong. And I think ultimately, and I don't know candidly whether I'm going to benefit from this budget deal or not. I mean, I'm not going to know until actually all the details are there and you sit down, you put pen to paper. But in general, I think this is good middle class tax relief that's going to, while it might not necessarily benefit me, maybe it will, but maybe it won't. I, I think it's nece- I think it is going to benefit a, a lot of people. So I think Trump deserves credit for things. But the style gets in the way. And his use of Twitter and social media, I think, continues to be the biggest roadblock. Now, over the, the New Year's holiday, he, he took to Twitter in a a big, big way, no pun intended. Lots of different tweets about lots of different things. Um, you know, talked about the people of Iran, talked about crooked Hillary Clinton's top aide, Huma Abedin, um, and how she should be investigated and prosecuted. Um, sent out uh, messages to you know companies that are giving big bonuses to their workers, etc., etc., etc. Lots of different tweets. The one that got the most attention was one that he sent yesterday where he responded to the crazy president of North Korea, the dictator in North Korea, um, where he, he talked about, uh, again, the, the button. Now, you might remember the dictator in North Korea sent out, had sent out a message saying that, you know, North Korea has, you know, nuclear capabilities, you know, and he's got his finger on the button, you know, and President Trump decided – to respond to that and he responded to that with a a tweet that said that yeah well he's got a button too and that his button is a lot bigger specifically north korean leader kim jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times will someone from his depleted and food starved regime please inform him that i too have a nuclear button and it is much bigger and more powerful than his and my button works exclamation point this is of course driven commentators absolutely crazy saying oh my gosh this is you know again this is provocative this is deranged um how dare you try to provoke somebody like this um you know you shouldn't be fooling around with references to nuclear weapons you know this goes beyond the pale all right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Clearly, one of the reasons that President Trump got elected was because people liked this style. It is one thing to say, as a candidate, you're going to use this style. You're going to be in your face. You're going to be so aggressive with this. You're going to use social media to get out in front of things and get around the media. All right, that works fine as a candidate. But one year into this presidency... Are you alarmed by the tweets? And did this use of social media and the reference to finger on the button and my button is bigger, did this go too far? MSNBC was absolutely nuts this morning. Oh, this is deranged. This is dangerous. How dare he say things like this? Right. Does this bother you? 414-799-1620. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come, I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is big story number one. The president's button is bigger. Stick around. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. John in Oakfield. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, is this a, is is this a, is this too cavalier a way to use social media? I mean, we're talking about potentially you know nuclear war. No, it's not because it, a okay. Let's think about this. If anybody is dumb enough to think that Donald Trump would literally do this just just out of spite or whatever, but the the, the one the other a point that I want to make is the people that are getting all up in arms about Donald Trump and his use of media, the reason why Donald Trump is where he is today is because he knew how to manipulate the media and use Twitter to get out and speak to the people Mm -hmm. that he wanted to speak to, A. B, the other thing is the people that are getting all bent out of shape about his conduct or his cavalierness or whatever, where the hell were these people when some of these clowns that we've had as presidents were abusing their powers in the Oval Office, one in particular, well, Mr. William Clinton. Well, let me ask you this, John, though. Is there, a difference, is there a difference between being a candidate and things no. that you say as a candidate and, and being the president? Okay, all right, you say no. no. Okay, thanks for going. All right, all right. I mean, I guess that's there, – there's no question. I mean, the the outsider, the, the candidate, the in-your-face techniques – worked to help him get the Republican nomination, the, you know, lion such and such and little Mario and all those type of things, that that worked to get the nomination. You know, he's obviously continued to carry that over as the president. I guess the question becomes, does it alarm you that the leader of the free world, the guy that does, in fact, have the authority to order nuclear strikes, is talking about how his button is bigger um, then the dictator in North Korea. We continue the conversation for one more segment. Is this just Trump being Trump? 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That's our text line. At first, I laughed a little about the button comments, and I probably shouldn't have. It does sound juvenile and not particularly presidential. Uh, Justin says, I support most of Trump's policies, but not his undisciplined, impetuous, impulsive, unfiltered use of social media, which is embarrassing as viewed by the rest of the world. Uh, Let's see, in answer to my rhetorical question, somebody texts, does it make a difference between the campaign and the presidency? You mean an actual president who is keeping campaign promises? No, I I don't mean that. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's one thing if you are running for office. And you are are doing what you need to do to get elected. It's another thing when you are the leader of the free world and where your your comments and what you say move stock markets. It affects foreign policy. It, it, it sends messages to our allies and our enemies. And I guess I, I look at this, and this is from the perspective of somebody who thinks from a policy perspective, President Trump is doing a pretty decent job. But one of the reasons he's not getting credit for it, I think, is, again, it's the style. Do I think that we 
do I think that former presidents going back to um, well, certainly going back to George Bush through the Obama administration, you know, maybe going back to Bill Clinton. Do I think that we've handled North Korea in an inappropriate way? Absolutely. You know, we, we've engaged in appeasement that hasn't worked. So do I think it's important to draw lines in the sand and really mean them? Yeah. At the same time, do you get into a, a Twitter war with this dictator talking about whose button is bigger? 414-799-1620. Charles in Wales. Charles, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, yeah, hi. Hi, Charles. Um, I had a, a couple of quick points. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the first was, you know, Kim Jong-un has been, you know, threatening nuclear war for I don't know how yep. long. You know, it's just about every day. And the media doesn't really seem to care that much. Yeah, they report it, but they don't get all bent out of shape about it. I mean, here we have a madman, you know, daily yep. threatening nuclear war, and they don't get too upset about it. But then Trump says, hey, my button's bigger than yours, and, and now they're in an outrage right you know it's it's kind of um you know it's an upside down mentality it's uh well and i i agree with I agree with that, and of course we're in an environment where there is nothing the president can do that, that would be viewed positively I mean he just couldn't but let me, let me take you to the next point though does that you know, is using social media in the way he does that does it diminish no president's ever done this before. I mean, does no. he dis, does, does he diminish the power of the presidency by doing by by speaking as he speaks in the way he speaks and the stuff he says on social media? Well, at first, I would have agreed with you. I thought his tweets were somewhat over the top and irresponsible, mm-hmm. and, I, and I still think that some of them, yes. But overall and in general, I I find it very refreshing. Okay. I find it like. You know, John Wayne, you know, Clint Eastwood. I find it like, go ahead, make my day. <laughs> the, know, dirty I, Harry, I, sure. I, I respect I respect him for what he's doing. And um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. I don't know if it's true, truly fake news, but, you know, they decide which mm-hmm. uh, news to report and which not, and they, they spin it. And we all know that they do this, whether it's fake news, you know, who knows, yeah. but. Okay. But all right. Said, I, you know, they're using anonymous sources. And, right. You know, no, and I, I get it. No, I mean, I mean, th- thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I get it, and and I understand, and I, I guess I just see. My concern is that you know, and, and I appreciate that President Trump has a larger than life personality. I, I get that. I, I think there is a difference though between being a candidate. Um, and, and being the, the leader of the free world. And I, I think language <clears throat> matters. And I think stuff like this is important. And I, I have no problem with him talking tough and, and meaning it. I, I, I don't. But it's the mine is bigger than yours. It's that type of stuff. Now, I don't get into hysterics like the, the people on MSNBC who go, oh, my gosh, this is just this is incredibly, you know, this is just awful. And it's cavalier. I, I, I don't go down that route. But at the same time, I do believe that I think the president does himself a disservice by by using techniques like this. If he wants to use social media to go out and, again, make a point there's ways he can do it without necessarily sounding like he's going to be in the playground rolling around getting in a fight in the sandbox. Um, here's one of our texts. Trump could take a bit of advice from Teddy Roosevelt and talk and walk uh, a little more softly. Everyone knows we've got a big stick. However, punks like Kim Jong-un only respond to tough talk. MSNBC, their hysteria is just bad acting. No global globes from that global 
Golden Globes for them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the outrage is, in fact, mocked, uh, you know, made up. Let's talk to Nick in Oak Creek. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you. What do you think? Um, well, I uh, said previously, um, you know, the president's supposed to be the voice of the people. And, um, you know, do you want your voice represented in such a way without tax, without discipline? Um, it's not a good message for our children. It's kind of a little bit, bit of the bullying mentality. And, yes, mine is bigger than yours. You know, that, that's very small, small-time thinking. Um, and, unfortunately, that, that seems to be the, the message that's being carried over in our nation right now. Um, I think there, there needs to be a better way. I mean, regardless if people like Obama or not, he carried himself with tact and was very diplomatic. Um, he might have been too soft on some things or not hard enough on some others, but um, there, there's a way to, to be the voice of the people uh, without uh, sounding like an idiot sometimes, I guess. Um, you know, we, we hope we have a better country every day when we wake up, um, but this thing with North Korea, I think it, it's just a little country uh, trying to hold their stick and, and show that they're, they're a force to be reckoned with, even though um, they are minute in comparison to our, our nuclear arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think there, what does it say to our kids when we speak to other people like that? You know, do you want your children in school speaking to their teachers uh, with such tone and growing up to be adults? I don't think that's the way to go. Yeah, and I think it's the, it, it's the reality TV aspect of this um, that, that I think gives me pause as well. And this is coming from the perspective, again, of somebody who supports a lot of the president's policies. I think what gets lost, though, is, and, and again, if, if this is played through the mainstream media filter or whatever, we're not discussing is it important to is it important to repudiate um, the dictator in in North Korea? Is it important to draw a line in the sand? We're arguing over okay that the use of language, and I've got a bigger button or or whatever. And I guess I thought I thought moving forward that the president once he won would kind of pivot and decide that okay I, I've won the election and now I, I don't I don't need to punch down. I don't need to get even. I don't need to be as clever. I don't need to be okay in some cases as vulgar. I, I just I can move on. I can be presidential. And I, I continue to believe that obviously that's not what's happened. And I continue to believe that it's it's that it's that inability to Okay, resist sending out the provocative tweet that I understand is what causes some people to absolutely love him. But I think I think it's limiting. The, uh, there's a great group of people, call it the silent majority of folks, who I think in many cases support what it is that President Trump is doing and would like to unhesitatingly back him. However, um, it, it's it's some of the tweets, it's some of the ways he is going about things that make it difficult to do that. All right. Coming up, big story number two, Mayor Tom Barrett still just flat doesn't get it. Stick around. It's 1244. It's 1247. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's cold, so think warm. Think baseball. Think Mr. Baseball. On your radio, check out the recently updated Brew Crew season schedule in the Brewer section of WTMJ's mobile app. Yeah, I tell you, um, pitchers and catchers report about six weeks, spring training, baseball, lots of activity. It was interesting because I'm um, we're, we're putting together Insight 2018, and I'm kind of putting together the guest list and talking to different people, and um, it's uh, 
it's going to be in late March this year. We'll make a formal announcement in the next couple of weeks or so. But uh, one of the things is a lot, a lot of people from Milwaukee end up in Arizona, you know, in late March. And I can certainly understand that. Big story number two, Mayor Tom Barrett. Okay, telling the Red Cross, I don't want a separate but equal policy. Now, the Red Cross, of course, has been creating, it is a volunteer organization, right? The Red Cross, what it will do is, for example, when there is a fire, they will send volunteers out to the site in an effort to try to provide assistance. Um, Is there anything we can do to help? Do you need us to try to arrange temporary lodging, things like that? But it's a volunteer-driven organization. So they, they can only send people to the extent that they have volunteers who are willing to go into certain areas. There is a shortage of volunteers right now. And there are particularly a shortage of volunteers willing to go into certain, and I understand some people don't like to hear this, but into certain high crime areas. And I can understand that in a way. If you're somebody who's a volunteer and you're saying, okay, well, I want to go out and I want to help. But you know what? The idea of having to go into one of these extremely high crime areas where people shoot at the cops and shoot at the fire trucks and all. I, I just don't want to do that. So the Red Cross, because of a shortage of volunteers, and I, I mean, I, I do think it's the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about in these meetings, that the Red Cross is saying, okay, there are certain zip codes that we are not going to be able to send volunteers to the actual fire scenes. What we will do is the first responders, we'll make sure that they have our cards and our contact information so they can give that information to the the victim, and then, you know, they can call us, and it's not like we're not going to provide services, but we don't have people to go there, you know, in person because they can't find enough volunteers to do it. So, you know, Tom Barrett and the aldermen, again, they're upset with the optics of this. Well, we don't like the way that this looks, and you're singling out certain areas. Well, yes, they are. They are because of concerns that I think are very legitimate with regard to crime. And that's just the reality. As I was saying yesterday when we talked about this in a different context, this is like these aldermen who get upset with the fact that you've got some of these contractors who show up on city projects and they're carrying guns. Well, instead of being concerned about the crime problem in the community that requires these contractors to feel the need to carry guns, they're upset that they've got guns. Oh, what is this going to look like? Well, all right, stop worrying about what the hell it looks like and worry about why they feel that there is a necessity to do this. So you've got the mayor, you know, he has this meeting with the Red Cross, and he's saying, um, you know, I don't want a separate but equal policy. If you have a family in the central city that's a victim of the fire, um, they need to have the same response that a family is going to get in an outlying area. It's something that is very important to me. To which my response to the mayor would be, fine, if you want that, Deal with the crime problem. Don't criticize the the salvation, the Red Cross. Don't criticize the volunteers. Deal with the crime problem. If the Red Cross has trouble finding volunteers that are willing to go into certain areas, 
It's not the Red Cross's problem. It's your problem, Tom. It's the problem of the aldermen who for too long have simply accepted these unacceptable levels of crime as, as uh, again, something that can occur. You know, we talked about the start of the program. Hit this family on Christmas morning, for God's sake, that has their van stolen with wheelchairs in it as they're loading up the packages. You go to the pa- your porch to get the package. You turn around, your van is gone. This is what's going on here. So if you are unhappy that, gee, you know, we've got this separate but equal policy, but you don't you send volunteers into some areas but not into others, well, all right, the question is, how are you going to get the volunteers? And unless you can solve the crime problem, people aren't going to volunteer. That's what the underlying issue is. Don't blame the Red Cross. Big story number three is coming up. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in 10 minutes. Big thing number three, Ted Thompson is gone. What is his legacy? And then in the 1 o'clock hour, sensitivity readers censoring books. Why does nobody want to be a Milwaukee County supervisor? And don't scratch your head in the airport. All great stories. Um, A week from yesterday, there is a new book coming out. It's written by a reporter named Michael Wolf. It's called Fire and Fury. And apparently, I've read an excerpt of it. There's an excerpt online in New York Magazine. Um, it's called Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House. Apparently, what happened is this: the, the author, uh, Michael Wolf, was was given right after Trump's inauguration. Um, the, the president allowed him to take up what they describe as something like a semi-permanent seat on the couch in the West Wing. Um, and apparently he, he was there from inauguration through October, and now he's written this book, and he's gone out and he's interviewed, conducted over 200 interviews, and it is an extremely explosive book. Um, I'm only a little bit through the 25-page the excerpt in New York Magazine, but essentially the, 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 the premise is Trump didn't want to be president, wasn't prepared to be president, was shocked that he won, and it, it and it, it just details that. But the thing that's getting all the attention now is Steve Bannon, who's the guy from, from Breitbart, who is the ultimate loose cannon. He's the guy who's decided to declare civil war against the Republican Party, and he's traveled around and he's recruited a bunch of, well, he's recruited people like Roy Moore, you know, in Alabama, people who cannot win, and he's recruited them, and he's had them running, and now the question's going to be, at some point in time, are people going to say enough is enough? But Bannon, as typically what happens with loose cannons, and, and you, here's the danger with loose cannons, they, they roll back and forth across the deck, and sometimes they go off, and they go off in the right direction. They shoot at the enemy ships, but sometimes... The loose cannon shoots the cannonball up in the air, and it comes down, and it, cre- it knocks a hole in the deck of your ship, and you sink. Well, that's the problem when you deal with loose cannons, and Steve Bannon is the ultimate loose cannon. So he sits down, and now he's sort of on the outside of the Trump administration, and he apparently gives lengthy interviews where he he's talking about Okay, some of the meetings that members of the Trump administration had with the Russians, he's using the phrase, you know, treasonous. He's predicting that um, 
Donald Jr. is going to be on national TV and they're going to crack him like an egg when it comes to Russian investigations. He breaks really, really, really bad on on President Trump. And this was one of the closest advisors that was there. And again, this is it's going to be a must read for, I think, any sort of political junkie. I'm starting to read this, and I've always thought that Steve Bannon, who's the guy that created Breitbart, was the editor of Breitbart, he was the type of guy that you get too close to at your own expense because there's going to be a time when I think guys like Steve Bannon are in it just for Steve Bannon. And at some point in time, even if you're the president of the United States, they're going to outlive your usefulness or whatever. So um, this is kind of like Bannon's revenge. Um, but it, it's amazing sort of stuff, and it sounds like it sounds like if Steve Bannon were on the White House Christmas card list last year, after these interviews, he's not going to be on the list this year. Um, but this is going to be getting a lot of attention, and it does sound like again Wagner's Rule of Life number fifteen: Be careful with loose cannons; you do not know where they're going to explode. All right, big story number three is coming up. The Packers' search for a new general manager continues. What is the Thompson legacy? Stick around; it's twelve fifty nine. It's 109, Jeff Wagner. You know, Eric, this this book, this Bannon thing, this is this is going to be just the explosive. Um, you know, the, the history of Steve Bannon is that he was the you know, he took over Breitbart after Andrew Breitbart yes. you know, passed away. And Andrew Breitbart originally um, conservative website um, that it, it, in some respects it was an accumulator it would you know they, they'd work with for example the Drudge Report and they put together stories and then I mean it, it was conservative um, Breitbart himself always described himself sort of as a Reagan type of Republican with mm-hmm, like kind of mm-hmm. libertarian leanings and it, it really was kind of a go-to sort of thing um, after he passed away I think a lot of us would describe Breitbart Breitbart became it changed and it morphed into I don't know what I think a lot of us consider kind of like the the National Enquirer the UFO type of stuff that 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 sort of thing where it is now where if there's a conspiracy theory that's out there to be peddled it, it's going to be peddled there it's really kind of become the mouthpiece of the alt right and to me Breitbart isn't what it was say five or six years ago but the Steve Bannon of course is the guy who was responsible for peddling. A, a lot of this stuff over the years, and he fell into Donald Trump's orbit and now has fallen out of Donald Trump's orbit in a big way. It's about as bad as it's ever gotten. The the president going after him now, calling him the... Says he's lost he's his lost mind. lost his mind. Trump says Steve Bannon lost his mind when he was fired. Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he lost not only lost his job... He lost his mind. But what, uh, you, what would you expect the president to say? Bannon saying that what they did in the Trump Tower was treasonous. Was treasonous. And that, I mean, there's other stuff, too, like Trump behaves like a child, whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, it, this is just, it, it's, it is, though, to me, the object lesson of what happens when you have the, these two mega personalities, like a Steve Bannon and a Donald Trump, and you put them together, and they play well together for a couple months, but you know when it breaks bad, it's going to really break bad. Oh, yeah. 
And so I guess part of the question becomes moving forward is, you know, what does this do for a guy like Steve Bannon, who set himself up as a kingmaker? I mean, Bannon is the guy that um, has... is is involved with a very large political action committee that's been trying to go around and identify republic going after mainstream republicans who he believes aren't sufficiently pro trump and and trying to defeat them which has led to what led to again the the Roy Moore candidacy in Alabama that was a debacle for republicans Roy Moore being the only republican in Alabama that could have lost that race but he was Bannon's guy so it's I'm going to be fascinated to read this book. I, See, don't you want to get it now? I'm all in, too. Well, I, I mean, New York Magazine published, again, it's like a 25-page yep. excerpt from yep. it. And, I'm, and once the show ends, that, that is going to be some uh, required reading over an adult beverage tonight. <laughs> but you know, you know this is just the start because you know all the talking heads are going to just have a, a, just a blast with this stuff mm-hmm. tonight. Oh, they already are. Um, absolutely. All right. Big story number three. It is, of course... For those of us in Wisconsin, as I've often said on, the, on this program, in many cases I sometimes feel like I'm, no matter how entertaining and thoughtful and insightful I am, I sometimes I feel like I'm I'm just really filler between the, the two big things that all Wisconsinites care about, number one, the weather, and number two, the Green Bay Packers. Well, I'm the Green Bay Packers, for the first time in, what, you know, eight or nine years, not in the NFL playoffs. It was a, a bad year all around. They ended up 7-9, and nine, and a, a lot of those losses were really ugly losses. And I think what everybody is starting to realize now is for the last several years, the team itself as a team has not been that good. What you have is a, an all-world quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Maybe the best player in the NFL now, maybe the best player in the NFL ever. I understand some people might argue about that, but clearly an outstanding player. And I think what we've seen now over the last couple of years is you've just seen that Aaron Rodgers took that Green Bay Packers team, put it on his shoulders, and, and carried it. Um, this year, when he was injured out for eight games, the, the defense, which has been appalling for a series for several years, that the defense couldn't step up, the offense couldn't produce, the team ends up seven and nine. But keep in mind, you know, four of those wins came before Rodgers got hurt. They were four and one when he ended up getting hurt. So it's no surprise that now the, the emperor you recognize has no clothes, and the Packers, I think, realize that you know they've got to make changes. The defensive coordinator and a good portion of the defensive staff is going to be gone because the defense has underperformed or stunk, depending on how cruel you want to be, um, over the last several years, and so they have to make a change. You know, it's one thing, you know, if you've got a player like Aaron Rodgers who can score 40 points a game, okay, that's one thing, but when you don't have Aaron Rodgers, you can't give up 35 or 37 or 40 points a game and expect to win too many. So the defensive coordinator, Dom Capers, is gone. Mike McCarthy is going to be staying, and I think that's a good thing. The general manager, Ted Thompson, gone as well. And I, we carried the press conference that the Packers president, Mark Murphy, had yesterday. And they're, um, you know, they're, they're fooling around with semantics. But the bottom line is if Thompson was was kicked aside, um, fired. I don't know if he was fired, but he was relieved of his duties. And, you know, he's been given a kind of a soft landing spot. I think he's got a year or two left on his contract and things like that. And he'll be an advisor. And I guess depending on who the next general manager is, That'll determine, you know, how much advice they take from from Ted Thompson. Um, I don't know who the next 
general manager is going to be. It seems to me that they should stay in-house. They've got a lot of really good, strong candidates, and I don't understand why Murphy, you know, is hiring this national search firm. Seems to me that that's that's pretty much his job, and he should have been planning to figure out how to do that for a long time. But the demise and the departure of Ted Thompson is leaving a, a huge legacy. Lots of people um, very, very bitter over the job that he did. Others saying, well, you know, he, he kept this team in the playoffs for years and years, and that in and of itself is an accomplishment. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before we close the book on the Ted Thompson years, what grade would you give him? Um, A, being, oh, my gosh, this was the second coming of, of Ron Wolf. He had the team in the playoffs year after year after year. He won a Super Bowl. Not many people can say that. B, hey, he kept the team in the playoffs year after year. He won a Super Bowl, um, but he drafted Aaron Rodgers, or Aaron Rodgers fell into his lap, and you know, pretty much anybody could have won with Aaron Rodgers. C or D being, hey, he had this incredible, ta- incredibly talented quarterback, um, and he only won one Super Bowl. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. How would you grade the Thompson years? I'll give you my grade, and we'll discuss next one segment: the legacy of Ted Thompson. What kind of job did he do? A, B, C, D, E. If you're a harsh grader, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's one seventeen. This is Jeff Wagner. One twenty, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, before we close the book on the Thompson era, give him a grade. I mean, what what is going to be the the legacy? Um, Ron Wolf, I think most of us would agree he, he gets an A plus. You couldn't have done a a better job than Ron Wolf did. Ted Thompson, eight consecutive playoff appearances, one Super Bowl, NFC Championship games several times, but at the same time. He had one of the best players in National Football League history, and there was only one Super Bowl. Okay, our text line's exploding. I'd give uh, Ted Thompson a C because his drafts were only average, and he really did not do anything in free agency the last couple of years except for a few mid-level guys this year who turned out to be average. Um, Let's see. Ron says, Ted gets a B. Great start. Had a good team in 2010 that overcame injuries and one of the few teams to win the Super Bowl while a wild card. Good talent. He drafted B.J. Raji, Matthews, Collins among the bunch. Last few years, injuries and a couple of poor decisions led the team to this point. 414-799-1620. Joe in Janesville. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I would give Ted Thompson at least a C- minus or a D, Ooh. and the reason I say that is because if I was a general manager, when Aaron Rodgers' name came up, and he was supposed to be picked third, and he ended up uh, getting 23, I think I could have picked him <laughs> with that. <laughs> so you, but, but, but at the same time, you know, keep in mind that there were 20 or 21 or 22 other general managers ahead of him who passed on that. Yeah, but they probably had somebody else in mind all along, whereas I don't think that he had. I'll tell you, his um, drafting in the last two or three years has been atrocious, just atrocious. And I think part of that is because the people around him in his office, like that Schneider and Reggie McKenzie from Oakland, Mm -hmm. they made so many of the 
uh, the um, decisions. decisions that made Ted Thompson look better than he really is. Okay, so you say so. I, I, I get I get the sense that your general thinking is don't let the door hit you on the way out. Would that be it? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. C minus or a D plus. Now, I I got to tell you, I I think I think that's harsh. I mean, um, eight consecutive years in the playoffs. Um, that was almost the expectation. A Super Bowl win. I mean, you know, that's th- those are those are accomplishments. Okay, um, but. Let's talk to Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking our call, Jeff. Okay, our last caller says C- minus or D+. Plus. Where are you on the Ted Thompson legacy? Well, I'm going to jump all the way up to an A. Okay. Like you said, you look at the track record, um, his talent at drafting, um, that in itself, that's huge for a general manager to handle that and be good at it. Um, all the other things out of his control, which are you know, one or two plays, from getting into um, playoffs, you know that's not his fault, mm-hmm. and also injuries that's not his fault. I mean, you wonder and, what you wonder what this team would have been over the last few years if mm-hmm. if Nick Collins hadn't gotten hurt, you know, career-ending injury, or sure. Sam Shields hadn't gotten uh, you know hurt, or you know a couple of the other players who was the tight end that, that went down had the career-ending injury. You, know, you do wonder what would have happened if some of those players that he drafted, you know, hadn't gotten hurt and had been able to play. Right, and with Aaron Rodgers going out, being a superstar, and all the other guys knowing he's out, what's their motivation? Their motivation isn't that high anymore, and you can't blame them for not wanting to play as hard after Aaron Rodgers goes out. Right. You know, that, you can't blame that on Ted Thompson either. Right, okay, so you give him an A. All right, thanks for the call. That's uh, Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing here, Jeff? I'm good. What grade do you give him? I gave him an A in the beginning there for uh, getting Aaron Rodgers and going uh, getting us to the Super Bowl, but I'd have to give him a D for uh, the downslide and the, down, the, the spiraling um, thing in the last several years. I'd have to give him a D on that because I feel that it's been his, mm-hmm. you know, his uh, what you call the word uh, thing of, of having this happen. I mean, we can't we can't have this uh, kind of keep on spiraling out of control, and I'd have to give him a D for downward uh, out of control. You know, it, Tom. It, thanks for calling. It, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I I've said this about David Clark. Oh, how, how are you linking David Clark to Ted Thompson? There couldn't be more, more people who are different. But yeah, yes and no. I when people ask me about the legacy of David Clark, I always view it in two different ways. I view the early years of David Clark where I think he was. A, a reformer and a guy who was saying things that needed to be said and was willing to challenge the establishment. And then I view the later years where I see somebody who got bored with his job as Milwaukee County Sheriff and was kind of fell in love with his, started believing his own publicity and start a, you know, went off and went off the deep end becoming, you know, America's Sheriff. And I mean, I, I really do. I mean, early years of David Clark, I, I'd give him an A. Later years of David Clark, I'd give him a D. I look at Ted Thompson kind of the same way. I think in the beginning. Now, you know, some people say, okay, well, anybody would, I appreciate what Joe was saying, anybody would have drafted Aaron Rodgers. Well, you know, 22 or 21 general managers beforehand decided not to. So, I mean, I I give him credit for that. Aaron Rodgers fell in his lap, but he picked him. There were a lot of other good picks early on as well, and I think he deserves credit. I mean, he took over this team after Mike Sherman had just run it over a cliff. Um, so, I mean, I give him credit for that. The last few years, I, I think I, I 
I just I think he's lost his he lost his touch. I mean, I I just do. Bad drafts, no impact, no. I won't say no impact players. That that's tough. But he was unable or unwilling to spend the money to build a team around one of the greatest players ever in the National Football League. And as a result, I, I think you know a lot of years went by. Aaron Rodgers should have more than one Super Bowl ring right now. He's that good a player. But Thompson was unable to surround him with the talent to win. And again, injuries were a factor as well. But I look at it, and I, I'd give him an A for the early years. I'd give him a C- minus for the last few years. I that that translates if I were grading that translates into kind of like a B. Um four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Scott in Hartford. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon. Hi. I would C minus. And C-. here's the thing. Okay. And I understand the injuries, but here's what happens. Good teams will figure out a way to augment those injuries. Right. And Ted Thompson's never done it. Right. Yeah, he his his refusal it. to go out and, and try to find those veteran players that right. could fill in and the, the you know the reliance on hey we're gonna you know somebody's gonna get hurt and we're gonna expect some guy that's you know off of our um, taxi squad or whatever they call it now you know um to or our training squad to come in and fill that role right that's naive you can't that's not how the na- national football no, league he works. tried to do it in the draft he, he refused to use free agency up until the final end and he refused to do it he, re- he that's not the way the NFL works, and he refused to evolve. So, yeah. see you later, Ted. Have a nice day. Yeah, thanks for call. I mean, again, that's why it's a conflicted. That's why I, I just I, the guy won a Super Bowl. All right, the, the guy won a Super Bowl. The guy put together teams that you know Aaron Rodgers, notwithstanding, went to the playoffs eight years in a row. You got. I got to give him some credit for that. But I just, for years and years, believe that the Packers have underperformed. The Packers have just not played up to their potential, and I hold him responsible for that as well. I think it's time for change. I hope they stay within their organization because I I think, you know, there's a lot of talented people that are there that have probably been kind of chafing to get out and kind of do their own thing. Um, again, I'm, I'm giving Thompson an A for the early years, a C or a C minus for the later years. It kind of translates into a gentleman B. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So many of us are tied to our GPS devices when getting from point A to point B, but are high-tech navigation systems ruining society's sense of direction? New study says that is exactly what's happening. John McCure shares the details at 420 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. That's going to be a fascinating feature because I I, I know exactly what's happening. Now, now that I'm, you know, I'm out of the house that I've lived in for 30 years and I'm, I'm out in Washington County for at least the foreseeable future or, you know, at least the near future. And I'm trying to get to places I really haven't gotten to before and I'm still trying to get a feeling for the, the area. So I'll put stuff into the GPS device to tell me, you know, where it's going. And, it, and I'll look at it and I'll say, I just, this can't make sense. I, I understand that this is taking me from one place to another, but there's got to be easier ways to do this. And you kind of figure it out. And sometimes I listen to the GPS device, and sometimes because I'm a guy, I don't ask directions. I don't. Uh, but it is interesting how that's changing our, our entire dynamic. All right. Another airline story. Air travel, I am old enough to remember when air travel, there was kind of a cachet to it. 
It was actually sort of fun. I mean, I remember, now, Guru, this is just, you know, you, you weren't around these times. There, there used to be the old Midwest Express Airlines, which um, people the people talk about the chocolate chip cookies. Forget the chocolate chip cookies. I mean, Midwest Express, which which grew from like private planes that serviced um, Kimberly, the Kimberly Clark Company, to th- this wonderful regional airline. They used to, I, I mean, they'd have champagne breakfasts. I mean, I used to fly from Milwaukee to Washington a lot when I was in the U.S. Attorney's office, and you'd get on the morning flight, and they'd have they'd serve you like hot breakfasts and champagne coming back. And, and they had it like on real, you'd get like real, not plastic knives and forks. You'd get coming back, you had your choice of like steak or lobster and stuff and champagne. It, it was just, these were the golden days of air travel. We did not know how good we had it. But, okay, nowadays, that's not what flying is all about. Nowadays, it seems to me, with flying, you, you hope you get to the airport. You hope that your bags don't get lost. You hope you don't get jack, uh, you know, jammed up in, and in the TSA security lines. You hope the flight leaves, and you hope that there's not some kid sitting behind you kicking the back of your uh, chair for two and a half hours. That, that's about all you can expect, right? All right, but that being said, sometimes airlines make it even more difficult than I think it has to be. What the airlines will say, though, is they're looking out for the greater good, which brings me to this story I've been waiting all day to share with you. All right, this happened last Friday, and what happens is you've got a family who's flying, I think they're flying out of O'Hare. They're in Chicago, so I think it's O'Hare. They're flying southwest, and I think this could happen on any airline, and they're flying from Chicago to Los Angeles. They're taking their kids to Disneyland. Right? Not Disney World in Florida, but they're going to Disneyland. Okay, here's this is their story. Um, they're in the terminal with the kids, and the two kids, ages, I think, four and six. So it's a husband, a wife, and two kids, ages four and six, and they're waiting to get on, on the plane. Um, what happens is the, the mom, um, she's playing with her daughter's hair. She's got apparently a, a brush or a comb or something out, and she's combing dry skin from her daughter's hair. Okay, so you know, she's going through her hair and she's doing whatever she's doing with the brush or the comb or whatever while they're in the waiting area, you know, waiting to get on to, to the plane. All right, uh, what happens is a number of other passengers see this, see that the mom is like going through her hair and, uh, again, brushing dry skin or, or whatever. I don't have kids, never done that, but I, my guess is that's something they have to do from time to time. It says what happens is that as she's doing this, that a flight attendant or a gate agent comes up and says, we're not going to let you on the plane. To which he says, well, what do you mean you're not going to let her on the plane? And they say, well, um, we're concerned that your daughter might have head lice. And they say, well, what do you mean you're concerned that our daughter might have head lice? Our daughter doesn't have head lice. This is just my, my wife is combing like this dry skin. Southwest says, no, um, we have gotten complaints from more than 10 fellow passengers who are also, you know, sitting in the, the, the area there, the loading area, who were concerned about the possible lice issue. Um, Fellow flyers apparently reported that a passenger 
that would be the kid, was exhibiting behavior consistent with a highly contagious medical condition, namely head lice. Here's what Southwest says. They said, we got these reports from passengers. Our employees are obligated to look into concerns that are raised by multiple customers, and based on a conversation our employees had with the family, we determined it would be best to rebook them for travel the following day. Our employees are responsible for the well-being of hundreds of thousands of customers daily. We are well-known for the care and hospitality we provide. Our goal is for every customer to have a positive experience while traveling southwest, and we do our best to deliver that commitment while keeping the health and safety of our customers and fellow employees as our top priority. Um, They regret that they caused an inconvenience, but... They, they said, we're sorry, but they think that they ended up doing the right thing. The guy says his daughter is hysterical because she thinks it's her fault that they're not going to Disneyland. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a moment, but I don't want to prejudice you. Family, two young kids, four and six, sitting in the boarding area, waiting to board on the plane. The mom is going through the daughter's hair, presumably with a fine-tooth comb. She says she's removing, like, dead skin from the daughter's hair. People look at this and think that the kid has head lice. Kid, by the way, doesn't have head lice. Southwest, after a couple people complain, gee, we're afraid that kid's got head lice, Southwest boots them off the plane, won't let them fly. 414-799-1620, that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Did Southwest do the right thing? Southwest says, hey, we're, we are looking out for the health and welfare of our customers, and that includes more than just the family that's involved here. And last thing we want is some kid with head lice getting on the air. And they won't say this, but what they're essentially saying is last thing we want is some kid with head lice getting on an airplane. And then next thing you know, you know, you've got 300 people that have head lice. All right. 414-799-1620. Did Southwest handle this appropriately? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ can't go wrong with a little bit of Dire Straits. The Bucks are back home to take on the Indiana Pacers in the first matchup of the season between these two divisional foes. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause hit the air at six forty tonight with our Buckshots pregame coverage. Yeah, I couldn't talk about this say, this particular topic during the lunch hour because I understand there's kind of this ick effect. But but it's it's an interesting question. Family traveling, if you're just tuning in, family traveling from Chicago to Disneyland in L.A. They're waiting in the boarding area. The four- and six-year-old girls, mom and dad, mom is is going through. She's got a comb out. She's going through the hair of one of the kids. I think the youngest one, not positive, though. But anyhow, she says you know, she's scraping, like, dry skin from the kid's scalp. A bunch of passengers see this and think that the girl has head lice. They complain to the flight that they complain to the gate agents. Southwest comes over and says, I'm sorry, we're not going to let you fly. Dad is like, my kids don't have head lice. You know, why aren't you letting them on the plane? 414-799-1620. All right. Did Southwest handle this appropriately? Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're first. Hello. Hello. Shame on Southwest. They're crazy. And the people in the waiting area are crazy, too. You can't detect head lice like that. Head lice is very hard to detect in kids. That's why it travels so vehemently from hat to hat in the, in the schools when they have it. But 
Oh, my goodness. Shame on those people waiting there to accuse that poor little thing of head lice. And Southwest ought to use their heads and should find out what head lice really looks like. Well, and I, that I, isn't it. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm trying to figure out where you draw the line here because – I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm sitting there thinking if I'm sitting there, you know, I'm flying Southwest at the end of February. We're going somewhere, and uh, actually, not till April. Flying somewhere in April, and I'm sitting there. If I'm sitting in the boarding area, and I am, as I occasionally do, just sort of inadvertently, I'm reading a newspaper and I'm scratching the back of my head, and somebody says, "Oh, there must be something going on." Does, does that guy have head lice because he's scratching the back of his head? Are they going to toss me out because of that? I mean, crazy. And what about the guy that's coughing next to you, and he keeps coughing and coughing? Oh, well, he might have pneumonia. Don't let him on the plane. Goodness gracious, use your head, and that is their asinine. Uh, the people that are waiting there and Southwest. I uh, mean, goodness gracious. Okay, all right. Thanks for the call. Sue says, shame on Southwest. Now, let me share a couple um, emails. I don't know if I can fault Southwest. If there was insufficient time to properly assess if the girl had head lice or not, better safe than sorry, and send them later once determined to be lice-free, like with measles and such, because of decreased use of vaccinations, head lice is a growing recurring problem, often not taken seriously enough by by parents. Okay, Michelle says, Southwest did the right thing. I wouldn't want to get on a plane with that. It could could be lice. If the kid had that much dry skin, then something is not right. Um, Add this to a list of why Southwest is the first airline I check when booking a flight. Um, All right. Lori, I'm sure head lice have been taking advantage of commercial airlines for quite some time. Give her a shower cap and send them to Disneyland. Okay, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Paul. Paul, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Interesting topic. Um, I took last year, I took the last flight out of O'Hare to Salt Lake City. As soon as we were airborne, the lady in front of us, and you know how smashed these seats are now. Yep. You couldn't miss it. She started picking her hair. Now we're looking. Her <laughs> hair is moving. Ugh. There, are, there are things. The person next to me and the person next to them, the whole way to South uh, Salt Lake City, we just kept watching this lady pick stuff Ooh. out of her hair that was moving and then putting it on the the floor uh, or next to her. See, see, Paul. By the way, this is why I did not do this topic during the lunch hour. <laughs> As a yeah. matter of fact, yeah. <laughs> so when we got to Salt Lake City, I I asked the flight attendant. Please, I know how well you clean these airlines, but don't let the 10A, <laughs> that's not okay, I still remember this, don't let 10A, please, you've got to really look into this area. Right. Because I would see the poor person that sat in that seat after that. We were all viewed, the whole time we viewed her picking oh. the stuff in her hair out. It was gross. Okay, so and, see, and, and I agree with you, I guess, what... What about what is Southwest to do, for example, in a situation like this? In this case, the child didn't have head lice. Um, I agree. I wish they had a shower cap or something to put on there. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I mean, right. I mean, thanks. I mean, see, I guess here's where I, I think Southwest mishandled this. All right. Now, look, I, I, as somebody who flies, not as much as I used to, but who flies, uh, I, I think you know at least a lot. I mean, I'll probably be on. I don't know, this year, five, six, seven trips where I'm on airplanes and things like that. Um, I, I do, I mean, I appreciate there's nothing worse. And I, one of our callers was making the reference to you get on the airplane and the person behind you is coughing up a lung. I mean, it's, I, I, I you know, I, I've got, I've got a little low grade cold now. It came down with it last Thursday. I, I have a feeling I, I know where I got it. I was at this, 
I was at a kid's concert, and there's a child behind me who is is unclear on the concert. This was right before Christmas. I know where I got this cold. There's a kid sitting right behind me who is unclear on the concept that when you're coughing, you should cover your mouth. And this child should not have been out. And the mom and dad are ignoring it. And the kid's just hacking and hacking and hacking. And it's right behind me. And I'm thinking, I know I'm going to get sick. And sure as heck, a few days later, I come down with what is a low-grade cold. It's not a big problem. But, I mean, so, I mean, I do appreciate this idea that if, if you're out there, you know, with a cold, um, that there's a possibility you can contaminate people. And certainly I understand this head lice sort of thing. I think if I'm Southwest, it's certainly – Something, I guess, if you feel the need that you you investigate. Okay, you you go up and you say, all right, you know, we've had a couple reports. Um, is you know, th- this is our concern. Do, does is there something going on with your child? And then if mom says, and I guess you're always going to run the risk that mom or dad are going to lie to you or something like that. But if mom says, there's no head lice in my child. Look, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm doing whatever I'm doing with her hair or, or whatever. We're just here killing time. I think at that point in time, unless you've got some significant evidence to the contrary, you let them get on the plane. Because, you know, in in all honesty, at at what point in time and where do you end up drawing the line? Do you say to that kid that was hacking up a lung behind me two weeks ago, and I know that's where this cold came from, do you say that, you know, you can't go and you can't sit in the the seat? Um, I just think that you've got to let them get on, you know, get on the plane unless you've got evidence, again, showing that there's some reason why they shouldn't. And in this case, uh, this case there, there wasn't. But, but here's also the cautionary tale nowadays, and I appreciate airlines have to be sensitive to this. So if you're going to do things like this in public, I, I mean, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have been doing this in the first place because you've got all these people who are going to be looking and they're going to automatically be assuming the worst. So maybe that's the cautionary tale, too. If you're going to be, again, doing something with your kid's hair, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the boarding area because people will draw certain conclusions. 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in 10 minutes. Rue, who's producing the show today and always. We go where angels fear to tread. While I was on vacation, government confirmed that it spent $22 million, that is M as in million dollars, of your money and my money studying unidentified flying objects, UFOs. Yes, on the Wagner program, we're going to take this on. Was this money... Spent in a silly fashion, or is there really something out there? We're going X-Files in the next hour of the show. I, I mentioned this briefly at the start of the show. It is incredibly disappointing to me. One of the – all right, the, the Milwaukee County Board has been a clown car act for a long time. Um, what was it? Um, you know, 10, 15 years ago now, whenever he had the, the pension scandal that erupted, the clown car act really derailed, and now you have situations like – an assistant district attorney, one of the guys who was caught up, involved in the whole witch hunt involving the John Doe investigations, retires, gets $800,000 up front, and still collects almost sixty grand a year in a pension payment. And he's not doing anything wrong. 
other than the fact that he's collecting money that he is entitled to, which is, of course, completely and totally crazy. But this is the pension scandal, and this is what the county board did in an effort to make a lot of county employees rich beyond the dreams of avarice. I don't fault the particular assistant district attorney. He's just collecting money that the idiots on the then county board decided that they were going to allow him to have. But one of the things when the legislation was changed to make the county board essentially part-time, um, reducing the size of the board and then reducing the salaries from like 50-some grand and benefits to 24 grand. One of the things that I hoped was that because it was going to be a complete now part-time board, what you would have is you would have a different sort of person who might run. Somebody who said, okay, look, this isn't going to be a full-time job. I'm not somebody who wants to go in and do this because I want to have a political career or I, I can't make enough uh, – I or I just – it's the only thing I can do to make 50 grand. I thought maybe you'd get some, I don't know, business people, lawyers, whatever, who said, okay, I, it's going to be a part-time job. I can still do my regular job, but I can still serve. Well, I thought you'd get more competition. Unfortunately, no. Um, 11 of 17 Milwaukee County Board supervisors seeking re-election will not face opposition. 11 out of 17. As I mentioned earlier, eight Milwaukee County Circuit judges running for re-election are running unopposed. So it's once again the, the story where you have people who get in, and then nobody comes forward to challenge them. And so you have this system that just kind of perpetuates because people get in and they know that they're not going to have opponents. I think the fact that nobody is interested in running for these seats tells you maybe it's time to get rid of the county board once and for all. And it also demonstrates that as much as we all complain about criminal sentences and how out of control the court system is, as long as lawyers aren't willing to stand up and run and challenge some of the judges that are making the ludicrous decisions that are resulting in the out of control court system, we're going to continue to get the justice that we deserve. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. 209. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric. I know it's kind of winding down a long day for you, so it might be a difficult question. It might be unfair to ask you this question this time, but do you believe in UFOs? Well, okay, UFO doesn't necessarily mean it's alien. It's just unidentified, so it could be anything. It could be a drone from some random country. You don't know. Okay, well, let me ask you a different <laughs> question then. Uh, do you believe that there is alien life that may be, I don't know, checking us out in the form of... Uh, no. No. Okay. So and any report of a UFO that's out there, you think that there's going to be some logical sort of explanation for it. This is just a it's a it's a weather balloon that's gotten loose or something like <laughs> yes, that. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. So there there's Eric down on that. Now the reason I ask Mr. Bilstadt this is because this this story broke while I was on vacation. The minute I saw it, I thought, no, this is something that I just I, I want to discuss with, with you. Here's the way the Washington Post reports it. For decades, Americans, like me and Eric Bilstadt, have been told that Area fifty one didn't really exist and that the US government had no official interest in aliens or UFOs. Statements to the contrary, official-sounding people cautioned, were probably the musings of crackpots in tinfoil hats. Well, the Washington Post writes, score one for the crackpots. Week or so ago, 
the Pentagon officially confirmed that there was, in fact, a $22 million government program to collect and to analyze anomalous aerospace threats, which is government speak for UFOs. The program ran from about 2007 to 2012. What happened was they, the, the defense budget is about $600 billion, B as in billion dollars. This was $22 million, which was the program they called it the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and $22 million bucks, which was stuck in this $600 million billion defense budget, so it was almost impossible to find, which is how the Pentagon wanted it. But for years, the program investigated reports of unidentified flying objects. Um, it was run by a military intelligence official on the fifth floor of the Pentagon. The Defense Department never acknowledged the existence of the program before about a week or two ago, um, but people say that while funding for this effort has ended, the program remains in existence, and there are people with the program who have continued to investigate episodes brought to them by service members. Harry Reid, who used to be the senator from, he was, of course, the majority leader in the Senate. Um, he was from Nevada, which is where Area 51 is. He was the, the guy that was responsible for, you know, it was largely funded at his request and he apparently long had an interest in space phenomena. Um, and there's a number of people out in Nevada who are, and according to the story I'm looking at now, continue to be absolutely convinced that aliens exist and that UFOs have visited the Earth. Um, Harry Reid, um, who retired from Congress, of course, he says he's proud of the program. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed or sorry I got this thing going. I think it's one of the good things I did in my congressional service. I've done something that no one has done before. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the government, now I understand in the scope of a $600 billion defense budget, $22 million is a, you know, it's a drop, you know, it's it's a drop in the, the bucket. But it's still, it's $22 million that was apparently spent on investigating UFOs with the emphasis on, gee, is this alien life trying to connect with us? Let me open up the phone lines and just ask kind of a broad question. Was this a responsible use of, of government money to try to check this thing out because you never know? Or was this just $22 million peed down a, a rat hole that could have been used to do all sorts of good things? Do we need to be spending money checking out whether alien life is trying to check out us? And, of course, that then leads to the larger question of, do you believe that there are, in fact, UFOs? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I promise, for this one segment only, one segment only, I will not accuse you of wearing the tinfoil hat. All right? I, I promise, for, for this one, I want to have this honest discussion. Do you think that there is something out there? Should we be spending money trying to determine if it is trying to contact us? Or is this just... 
Do 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 do. You've been watching too many ex- uh, episodes of The Outer Limits. All right, we're talking UFOs. It's two fifteen. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two eighteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, last couple of weeks, it's been revealed that apparently the Pentagon, at the insistence of then Majority Leader Harry Reid, from two thousand seven to two thousand twelve, spent twenty two million dollars studying UFOs. O's. The program is no longer being funded, but apparently it still does exist. Pentagon's never acknowledged this before. My question is, is this, well, a good use of government money? 414-799-1620, which again leads to the larger question of, is are, are, are we into like crackpot theories or is this something, well, you, you never know. Let's spend some money and try to figure it out. Let's start with... Mark in Oak Creek. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Do you believe in UFOs? Happy New Year. I believe in UFOs. I was telling the guy that I talked to that I've been following this for decades, Jeff. I I followed this as much as I could find out, and I've been following this for years, and I believe in this big, huge universe. We are not the only people out here. I think there's something out there and yeah i believe in them and i think that's a good study that you guys have that they're going to have you know and spending money on it and i think they know more than what they're telling us i really believe that so you think that um now most of the times not all of the times but most of the times when they investigate these things they're able to come up with logical explanations you know it was it was the weather balloon that got loose or it was an atmospheric type of stuff do you think do you think there really have been like aliens who've tried to you know come down here and make contact with us well you know what jeff it it's kind of hard to say but i don't know if they tried to make contact with us as you would say right but but i think that some of this yeah i do i believe aliens Okay, well, thank, thanks for calling. I, again, this the, the, I I started this off by saying, you know, a, you know, they're spending money on this. I, I'm not going to mock these things. I mean, I I, you know, are we alone in the universe? I yeah, probably not. That that doesn't make sense to me. That there's not some form of life, you know, somewhere in the somewhere in the universe. Does that mean that there's alien life forms that are trying to come into contact with? Well, I'm not ready to go that far, but. But I guess if you're willing to accept the premise that, you know, who thinks that we're necessarily alone, that uh, that shouldn't rule it out. Lynette in North Lake. Lynette, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, well, my take on this is that um, I think this finally validates what people have been saying for years. In um, All over the world, there have been reports of... Um, Activity, whether it's simply sightings, whether it's actual contact, all kinds of things like this have been reported for years. Even in the 19th, late 19th century, it was reported. So this just validates what people have been saying, and maybe people can come forward and not worry about being ridiculed or um, punished. Um, things like that what um do you think do you think the government has been holding back on on information do you think the government knows more than it's telling us oh sure sure they do 
um, I mean, there, there's just so much uh, information, and it, it's not. I'm not just talking about the people that get on uh, coast to coast and things like right. that. There, there have been there has been so much information. There have been very reputable people that have reported things to their superiors and have been told not to say anything. Um, it's it's been going on for a long time. Why, why do you think the government would withhold, would want to withhold information like that from us because we 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 couldn't process something like that or be too afraid or something? Well, I, there probably was that element, but it's also been such a culture of secrecy for so long. Anytime you have a um, bureaucracy like the CIA or NSA, things like that, there's um, it's. It's um, it, it's a culture of secrecy. It's um, okay. No, I got it. Okay, no, thanks for calling. I've been, again, this was this is my question. We're we're two for two out of the box with we're not alone. Helen in New Berlin. Helen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Happy New Year to Same you to and you. your producer. Thank you. Um, yeah, I I believe that there's life out there. Um, who says that we are the only planet that has life on it? Well, you that know? would be an arrogant view to think that we're we're the only planet in the universe that that has intelligent life. Yeah. And well, and that could be you know wrong. Also, mm-hmm. you know they don't know that for sure because it's a very big universe, mm-hmm. and there are other universes out there. But as far as the money goes, well, oh, I'm kind of torn on that. Yeah, Twenty-two million to, to study it, yeah. Yeah, because I, I kind of agree with what the lady said, and I kind of agree with what the first caller said, but. That's a lot of money to be spending on it. I mean, I could see setting aside a little bit, but that's a lot of money. $22 million could sure be put to much better use, like fixing roads and well, that, see, that's, things like that. that that's, that's kind of the issue. I mean, thanks for calling. Again, you don't know. One of the things that we, we don't know about this is what what they found. Now, what I'm able to piece together, a lot of the stuff is still classified, so they're, they're not reducing this. I, I think one of the things they're finding is, most of the reports of UFOs, now, assuming you believe the government isn't lying to you, most of the reports, they do turn out to be the stray weather balloon or, you know, the, the phenomena, the, the lightning or something like that. And, and you know, it's, it's, it, they're able to figure out, you know, what it was, something in the atmosphere that created this or, or things like that. So they're, they're able to come up with explanations. But that's true. It's, it's not for... It's not for everything that they, they can't explain for, for everything. Bill in Plymouth. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi. Thanks for talking to me. Sure. Now, I believe there's some form of life out there, too. But that don't mean we got to spend $22 million <laughs> lying in somebody's pockets to study this. Right. <laughs> because I don't, I'd like to know what the actual, who got the money? Whose pocket did the $22 million go in? Well, I mean, it was money that I mean, this was that they paid. From what I understand, is they this was in the Defense Department's budget. So I mean, there there were there were people at the Pentagon who were assigned to go look after UFOs. You know, they were on the payroll to look at UFOs. Right, that's my understanding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, see, I see, Bill. I'm glad you caught because see, that's that's where I come down on this. I don't. It's kind of like angels. 
Uh, and it's kind of like ghosts. I, I, I don't know. I've never seen a ghost. I've never had an experience with a ghost. But on the other hand, I, I have. There have been occasions where ah, things have happened in in my life that I can't come up with an explanation for, which tell me that you know may, maybe there is something else that's going on there. And, and I don't know one way or the other. And I guess I, I've never seen a UFO. Have no position on whether there are or not. I do think you know, as I was saying a minute ago, that. To believe that we are the only form of intelligent life in this entire vast universe does strike me to be a bit of an arrogant, a bit of an arrogant thing, you know, because because who exactly knows? But I, I do agree with you, Bill. I, I don't know why would you spend twenty two million dollars? I mean, if 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 there's extraterrestrials out there that want to come down and communicate with us, well, okay, land in Cathedral Square and have Tom Barrett explain why we're building the damn trolley. I mean, let let him do that. I guess I, I'm not sure what the purpose is of of studying these various things but i'm not prepared to say that we are that we're definitely alone in the universe it's just i'm not sure where that 22 million dollars went it's 227 this is jeff wagner wtmj 235 jeff wagner wtmj you can now listen to wtmj on your amazon device from news and weather updates the latest out of lambo your favorite shows podcast that of course would be mine right no no matt six in here too you, you can you can listen to sports central right right greg that's you know, your, your podcast as well. it's up there absolutely it sounds really good on that alexa thing too absolutely all right so you can listen to you can listen to greg's you can listen to mine you can listen to like all the different wtmj shows and much more it is now available with the simple phrase alexa open wtmj for more information and easy setup instructions, it is so simple that even I can do it. Text the word Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, to 414-799-1620 or go online to WTMJ.com. All right. Um, there, there's a there's a court case that caught my attention. I, I, I don't want to go too far into the weeds with the court case, but it raises this interesting story. Um, years and years ago, before... Before I went to law school, as a matter of fact, got out of college, worked for a few months before law school started. I worked for an insurance company. I worked in an office setting, and it was one where I didn't have my own office or anything. It was kind of like, you know, you're all these desks out in this open area. There was a very nice lady who sat at the desk, desk next to me. Very, very nice lady. Um, but... There's there's no nice way to say this. Um, she she stunk. Now she didn't stink of body odor, but she stunk of perfume. It was like on, on a daily basis she bathed herself in. I don't know if it was cheap perfume or expensive perfume, but I mean you could. It wasn't just me sitting next to her that that could smell her. I mean. You were our desks were kind of like right by the elevator. The elevator would open up. You would get off on the floor, and I mean, you, this was it was just pervasive, and it was kind of overpowering to the point that I am not sensitive to those things. Some people are very very sensitive to smells. I'm not, but at the end of the day, I, I'd have a headache, and and there was no question. It was just it was it was the perfume. There there was no question in in my mind, and um. I know at one point in time I wasn't a manager or anything. I know at one point in time somebody talked to her and she became very offended and she didn't change change her ways. Um, so you you have 
you know, that issue. For me, it was the perfume. And again, there wasn't a sensitivity, but it was, my my God, it just, it would make your eyes water um, to be around this. Well, I bring this up because there, there's a story out there and it's this lawsuit. What happened is there's this woman who um, was a staff attorney in, in, a, in the courthouse in Indianapolis. And apparently what happened is that there were, an, there was one employee who reeked of body odor, just reeked of body odor to the point that all the other employees started complaining. Oh, my God, you know, this person just just smells. And for the sake of our discussion, let us assume that they are not being they're, they're not being namby pambies. Let us assume that this is a legit thing, that you have this person that just absolutely reeks when they come into work. And so all these employees were complaining to this woman who is like the lead staff attorney. She's the manager. So what she ends up doing is she goes and she installs air fresheners throughout the work area to improve the overall quality of air in the office. Um, and so then, after she does that, all these other employees start bringing in their own, like, air fresheners to try to deal with this. Well, proving that no good deed goes unpunished, in, in May of last year, the woman who did this, she gets notified that the worker with the body odor had made complaints with human resources about the use of air fresheners. And the woman who put in the air fresheners is told that she had created a hostile work environment towards the worker who smelled. <laughs> and, and so she ends up getting fired. Yes, the woman who put in the air fresheners, she ends up getting fired because she created the hostile work environment. Okay. All right. Again, and I don't want to go too deep into the weeds about Americans with disabilities. And there's this whole question about whether it is body odor a disability? You know, is it something that you can't help? Or is it, in fact, just like a choice that, that you make? But I, I was reading the story and I was thinking about, again, my experience years and years ago in this office where you had the one employee, a nice woman, but she she stunk. Now, again, in this case, it wasn't body odor, but it was this overpowering perfume that everybody, I mean, everybody in the area, uh, to varying degrees, but everybody would go, oh, my God, you know, we're working in this workplace where it smells and I, I suspect the lady didn't know she smelled because, uh, again, you just cover yourself in the thing and, you know, after enough time, you become used to it. Well, here in this story, what you had is you had one of the supervisors who tried to deal with it, and they ended up getting fired because, again, you know, you, you made the employee who stunk, you made them feel bad, and you created a hostile work environment. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I... I think in the workplace, there are certain, I don't know, common common sensibilities, for want of a better phrase. And when you have an employee who, whether it's because they don't bathe or because they have some condition or something or because they just uh, choose to go you know, without using deodorant, or whether it's because they choose to, you know, immerse themselves in perfume, I think, I think that the other employees in the workplace have rights as well, and one of those rights includes the fact that you know you're there to do a job and not necessarily um, be assaulted by unpleasant smells, and I guess. 
I, I mean, I don't know whether this particular woman went about it in exactly the right way by bringing air fresheners out, but clearly you had the person who had the body odor who didn't want to deal with this or didn't choose to deal with this, and I think I think the other employees have rights as well. So how do you handle a situation where that coworker stinks? 414-799-1620. And should the other employees get in trouble for complaining about that? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And to me, this is, I mean, th- this is this whole area where I, I think we've kind of gone around the bend with how we interpret disabilities. Now, obviously, I think if you've got somebody that has a legitimate medical condition that is causing certain problems like this, I can understand where you might have a duty to accommodate that employee. But I don't think that accommodation means telling all the other employees in the shop or the office or whatever, hey, you know, you just have to, you know, deal with it. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Vern in Oak Creek. Vern, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. I got a story. For the, it was happening at my sister's workplace. There was a woman that was wearing very strong perfume every day, just like you're saying, and they, they couldn't stand it anymore. So they talked to management. Management said, no, she has the right to wear perfume. We can't do anything about it. Okay, so what the guy did is he uh, doused himself with, uh, went to work and doused himself with skunk scent. Okay, <laughs> And he, they brought him into the office. He said, this is my perfume. I like this smell. If she can wear her perfume, I yeah. can wear my perfume. So what the what the workplace did is they said people nobody can wear any kind of uh, smelling smelling agents anymore. Right. So that that's what they did at that place. Well, you know, and, and I, I think there's a lot. Company. Yeah, I, I see. I think you know quite candidly, Vern. There's a lot of people who are starting to go that route because a lot of companies because you you have some people that are legitimately allergic to those types of things, and you know, and it's it's not just them necessarily being overly sensitive. It's that you know people have. You know, reactions, especially to, you know, some whether it's the strong perfume or something like that. So, in some respects, that that no scent thing, the no cologne, no perfume thing, makes a little yeah. bit of sense to me. But I thought that was a pretty clever yeah. uh, thing. <laughs> right. When he, when he had the- and he had the skunk sitting and he says nobody wanted to be in that place at all. Man. Well, right. I mean, thanks. Uh, See, and I guess I mean, it, and again, it's look. I mean, I understand people have different hygiene habits, but and and maybe. Maybe, you know, if you are working in some place in Europe or in South America, you know, maybe there are different cultural standards, and, and, and I understand that. But at the same time, I, I do think in workplaces, employers, there are certain hygiene representations. And, again, I, I understand there's some people in some parts of the world who, you know, de- deodorant, why do you wear deodorant and things like that? Well, okay, that's that's fine, but it's different in the United States, isn't it? We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, uh... Dow Jones up big yesterday, NASDAQ up big yesterday and today. Dow up another 118 points um, right now, about 13 minutes before the close, 24,940. So uh, 60 points away from 25,000. I don't think it's going to hit it today, but I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to see uh, possibly, you know, tomorrow or Friday, 25,000-point Dow. Wow. All right, 414-799-1620. Woman in uh, Indianapolis, she works in a in, in the courthouse, um, and there's apparently a worker that has overpowering body odor. People start complaining about 
her body odor. So what the the gal does is she starts bringing in air fresheners, putting them throughout the office. She ended up getting fired because the woman who had body odor complained, said, hey, I, I feel that I'm being discriminated against. You've created a hostile work environment. I should be able to smell um, however I want. Um, I don't think that's right. I, I think when you work in an office setting, the employer, it's not just the rights of the one employee who can say, hey, I can have lousy hygiene or whatever. Um, I, I, if I, I don't agree with deodorant. I don't like soap or whatever, and I like the smell. Okay, well, that, that's fine. But I think the other workers in the office have rights as well. Let's talk to Renee in Waukesha. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Yes, um, I used to work in a daycare, and we had the same issue. Um, towards the end of the day, we would combine classrooms, and this teacher, she was from out of the country, um, came into our classroom, and it would get so bad that we would literally get nauseated. Yep. And it could be this cold outside, and we'd have to open the window because we could not deal with it. Right. And we finally... There were enough complaints to our manager. She finally had to take this woman aside and say, look, you know, I, I, she didn't know how to bring it up, but she did. And, and, um, apparently it wasn't common practice for them to use deodorant. Right. I mean, she showered every day, but it wasn't common practice. So she's, once she started using deodorant, it was fine, you know. And I, I'm really glad that there weren't any issues that came back to haunt my boss because of this, you know. <laughs> but it did help. Well, right. Well, exactly. But it, it was it was an issue in in the workplace. Now, in the, the case I'm talking about, Renee, I, I think they did confront the woman, at, or I don't know if it was a woman or a man. They confronted the employee, and and they they resented the fact that they were being told that they had bad hygiene. But I mean, it is a fact. I mean, you know, like you say, you're opening windows in the middle of winter because you know people can't stand the smell. Yeah, but you know, you have to be diplomatic about it too. You can't just walk up to somebody and say, "Well, you, you stink." Really stink and <laughs> yeah. you Ooh, some yeah. deodorant. You know. Yeah. Okay. When's the last time you bathed? No, thanks. For, I, 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 I understand. I, I, I get it. Uh, I will say this: the, um, the situation that I, I talked about. Um, you know, people talk, and this was a very nice lady. And you know, people talked to her about using too much perfume, and she just continued to use the perfume. And it's just, nowadays, like I say, people, you know, people have allergic reactions to that stuff. Mine wasn't an allergic reaction; it was just, my God, I've got the. By the end of the day, you got this headache, and I wasn't the only one. Dave in Greendale, Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, yes, I, I worked out in uh, Janesville, GM, and we had this individual that. Uh, we were working around a, a drawing table, and you had to keep running around the table so you could get away from him. <laughs> you needed to be downwind. You you always wanted to be upwind of him, in other words, huh? <laughs> anyway, we had the union steward talk to him, and he said, well, I shower every day, and he's got a clean shirt on every day. He didn't understand it, but then it turns out he, he chewed chew, chewing tobacco, and he wasn't eating breakfast and uh, yeah. lunch properly and it was coming right out through his skin oh geez. So after after the union steward talked to him he quit quit the chewing tobacco at work and uh the smell went away that okay there's a value of unions right there <laughs> thanks for the call dave i i just again i i bring 
I bring this up because what, what, what attracted my attention is the woman who tried to do something to make the workplace better in the category of no good deeds goes unpunished. Like I say, she's the one that loses her job because the employee who was creating what I think was the problem in the first place, um, she's the one that then files the complaint and now there's a lawsuit. I don't know how it's going to all turn out, but it is an issue, I think, in the workplace. Hey, before... Um, I turned it over to John McCure, and I didn't get to about two-thirds of the stuff I wanted to get to on today's program. I, I did want to mention, yesterday was the deadline for people who wanted to run for office in the April elections. Now, we're going to have two elections in Wisconsin. Um, there will be primaries as well, but there's going to be the April nonpartisan elections and I say nonpartisan in quotation marks, where you, you don't run a political party. And then, of course, in November, there's going to be the, the, the partisan um, elections. But it, the, one, the one race that everybody is going to be able to vote in is going to be the state Supreme Court race. Um, the primary is going to be, I think, in late February, and the Supreme Court election is going to be in early April. Um, this is to – it's an open seat – um, Justice Michael Gableman is retiring after one 10-year term, um, and so it's going to be an open seat. Three candidates have announced that they are running. Two are liberal. One is conservative. The one who is the, the uh, Madison attorney, his name is Tim Burns. He's way out there. I mean, he's really way to the left, and he's actually running a political campaign. I mean, he's talking about how, you know, he believes that you need to use the Supreme Court as a check on the evil conservatives and things like that. And that's my phrase, not his necessarily, but it comes close to saying that, about how he believes in judicial activism and all those things. Then you've got Rebecca Dillette, who is a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. And we talk a lot about Milwaukee County Circuit Court judges. And then you have a Sauk County judge, Michael Scranach, who's been on this program before. He is the conservative of the three. So you've got two liberals, one decidedly more liberal than the other, and one conservative. I don't know how this is going to play out, but all three have turned in you know, their petitions, and it's going to be just a sprint to the uh, finish line. The primary is going to be coming up at the end of February, like I say, and then there'll be a general election in early April. But this is a race to watch. All right. Something else to both watch and listen to, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. John McCure is in for in just a couple minutes. We'll find out what he's got on his mind. Stick around. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner.